everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Check. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony Andracki here with Andy Martinez, and we have a great podcast for you. A little bit later on, Andy, you had a great chat with Carlos Pena, Marquee Sports Network analyst, obviously former big leaguer who had a year with the Cubs as well. Uh, just about what Hispanic heritage means to them and more specifically Pena. Um, really great story. I, I know coming up just about like the name aspect, Andy, um, I thought that was really cool. So looking forward to our listeners hearing that. Um, but off the top, Andy, I think we're going to go back to what we did a couple podcasts ago before we talked to Alex Cohen last week. But um, two weeks ago, we looked at Rafael Ortega and friend Mio Reyes and just how they may fit into next year if there's a fit at all. So let's do the same thing and let's start with Zach McKinstry. Andy, do you see a fit next year? How do you envision uh, McKinstry's role after the Cubs traded for him this summer? Yeah, I think he's got a very valuable role in the sense that he can kind of play all over the the infield and he's got a left-handed bat. That's something right now that the Cubs are very thin on, uh, the left-handed bat. And, you know, I, I think he started a little slow and I think part of that's due to, you know, just the nature that he was used in where, if you think about it, Patrick Wisdom was healthy, Nick Madrigal was healthy, Nico Horner was healthy. The only at-bats he was really getting were, you know, against a tough righty to give the other guy a day off. And, and so he wasn't having regular at-bats. So it was tough. And what we've seen, you know, since Nico and, and Nick Madrigal and, and Wisdom had gone down, he stepped in and he's having at-bats every day or, or playing every day, just the rhythm that that creates. Over his last 15 games, he's got an 855 OPS. I mean, we're just seeing the, the caliber of player you can be. And it, it's hard to judge on, you know, those first early games where he was struggling, but at the same time, he wasn't getting enough looks. So it's, it's hard to break out of a funk if you're only having an at-bat here every, you know, every few days. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head with the left-handed bat aspect, um, just because, you know, when you break it down and the Cubs don't have many options and there don't seem to be a ton of options in free agency, for example, you know, like all those big free agents that everybody links the Cubs to on the middle infield, like Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, they're all right-handed hitters. And, you know, even Aaron judge is a right-handed hitter as well. So like, it's going to be difficult this winter for the Cubs to add any other left-handed bats. And, you know, obviously coming up through the system, they have a guy like Matt Mervis, Um, you know, we're not going to see him this year, but maybe next year, don't know if that's opening day or not, but yeah, there's not, you know, a ton of left-handed options. Um, and we talked a couple of weeks ago and now with Rafael Ortega out with injury, you know, it seems more and more like the writing is on the wall and that Ortega probably won't be a part of the team next year. And if he is, it's really just because of left-handed bat, but yeah, I think that's really it, you know, with McKinstry and, you know, since the Davis first hit with the Cubs, August 9th, he's been a 250 hitter, 739 OPS. That's not amazing, but that's, you know, over 108 plate appearances. And again, like you said, that was a decent amount of um, inconsistent playing time in there too. So I am curious to see more of what he can do over the final two weeks, because this is a guy that hit 335 in AAA this season. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, we, we've talked about it before that the, you know, the AAA, the Pacific Coast League especially has, you know, there are a couple of ballparks like Las Vegas or, or the thin air where the offenses gets boosted a little bit, but you've, we've seen his at-bats. We've seen the, 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 the makeup when he's up there and, you know, you can see why, you know, is he going to hit, be hitting uh, crazy over 300 like he was in AAA? Probably not, 
but there's no reason to think he can't be a high average guy when he's playing. And yeah, as you mentioned, it's just the, the platoon ability to, to be able to see him, you know, at short, at second, at third, and provide a left-handed bat that, you know, counters a Nico Horner, a, a Nick Madrigal, Patrick Wisdom in a perfect way is, is really beneficial. And it helps the Cubs in, in the long term. Um, just over the weekend, David Ross was talking about, you know, pitchers facing a lineup the third time through. And, and sometimes he, he, he mentioned, he says, yeah, the third time through the numbers are real, but sometimes it, it matters about how many times a pitcher or how many times a batter has seen the pitcher in terms of, of pitches. You know, if it was two, four pitch at bats, you know, maybe the third time through isn't as scary. Uh, and then the matchup, he, he mentioned, you know, specifically like with the Giants, Jock Peterson, a left-handed bat, that would be tough on a righty. Maybe you'd rather have your start of the third time through what I'm getting to is Zach McKinstry provides that, right? Where if, you, if you're if you having a right-handed lineup and then you have someone like Zach McKinstry off the bench that you can uh, turn to in, in a pinch hit situation, that's that, that, that you know, deepens your roster and helps out your offense tremendously. Yeah, definitely. And, and also just the fact that they did trade for him. So I think there's yeah. – I'd be hard-pressed to find, you know, a legitimate reason maybe that they would give up on him right now if he was obviously playing – uh, the way we, maybe we saw him play the first couple of weeks in Chicago the rest of the season. Sure. But, you know, he's played pretty good defense. Like he's made yeah. some diving stops at second base. And, you know, especially um, it was just Monday night that he made like a really nice play uh, in Miami too, that uh, they were talking on the broadcast, like Ryan Dempster, Joe Girardi were talking about just how it would look next year with the shift. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think, you know, McKinstry adds a little bit of that versatility, that left-handed bat, I think he's a role player on next year's team. Um, you know, that being said, I, I don't know for sure exactly how he slots in. If the Cubs do sign one of those shortstops or middle infielders and Nico moves to second and Nick Magical, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know yeah. how this all works, but maybe there's a McKinstry wisdom platoon at third or something like that. But um, but yeah, I think he's a guy for me that that looks like a part of this team, at least next year and, and could carve out a long term role for himself. Um, and then, you know, another guy that we want to chat about is Michael Hermosillo, who came back after one of the worst quad injuries you can have without it really being like torn off the bone and without needing surgery. He missed um, a little over four months with this grade two plus quad strain, he said. Uh, so that was, you know, a lot like this hometown kid grew up an hour and a half outside of Illinois, come, came to Wrigley Field, rooted for the Cubs as he was growing up. And you know, now he's back. And it was this great story a little bit at the end of last year, had the forearm injury and missed the final two, three weeks of the season after getting a shot. Then this year made the opening day roster and ends up getting hurt in early May and, and out until, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But Andy, as you look at Hermosillo, like how do you evaluate his future with the Cubs? It's a really tough case, just given the situation. You mentioned the injury. And then when he came back, you know, only 34 at-bats on a rehab assignment. And you think about it, you're in late September. Teams are either chasing a playoff on or they're in peak form, you know, at, at the back end of the season. Uh, everyone's got their timing down. Everyone's got their rhythm down. And you think about it, 34 at-bats, that's maybe like, what, you know, second week of August or of April, excuse me, if you had started from the beginning. So, you know, just the timeline of where he's at offensively to where everyone else is at. It's pretty remarkable that he's being able to, to play at the major league level, uh, just given you know how much time he's missed, how much time he's having to make up for what, what really has always impressed me about him. And, and, you know, especially him being healthy now, seeing it is his center field defense. I think he's the best defensive outfielder the Cubs have right now on their, on their roster. Um, his play he made in New York, 
with the Mets. That was a phenomenal catch. His play in the, the opening game in Miami in the ninth inning, or excuse me, in the bottom of the eighth inning. Don't yell at me, Marvel people. Center field, Hermosillo back, and oh, what a catch! Michael Hermosillo absolutely robbed De La Cruz. You see some of those plays, and, and especially when you're at the ballpark and you see him covering the ground he can cover, and, and just like how, just like for lack of a better term, how graceful he is out in, in center field when he's trotting out to balls. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. He kind of alluded to, you know, not feeling 100 uh, percent at the beginning of the season in, in your article uh, on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. And you could kind of see that at times, you, you know, there's some plays where you're like, wow, like that doesn't look like the same outfielder that was, you know, making spectacular catches in 2021. Uh, and, and now it kind of makes sense after all that. Um, so that's that's the interesting case with him. Right. Where it's like, you know what the defense can be. And we've seen flashes of the bat. Uh, and what he could be, but just given the roster crunch with the 40 man, it'll be an interesting case for, for where he lies, you know, come, come November or so. Yeah, definitely. I go back to um, what you said, I think uh, on one of those catches in New York is just that he glides out there and yeah. he does. I mean, Hermosillo, like I, he, it's a lot of fun to watch him play outfield, you know, yeah. I, growing up, like I was an outfielder in high school and college and stuff. And like, that's what I, played typically and and I always appreciate the way guys um you know can take routes to balls and stuff and like I think Hermosillo is what everybody always thought Almora could be in the outfield yeah. and Almora got great jumps and stuff but he just didn't have Hermosillo's speed so um yeah I think you know there's definitely it's great to to watch him out there 100 he is their best defensive center fielder until P. Crow Armstrong gets up you know and, yeah. and obviously that's probably still a year or two away um depending on on you know pca's path development path but yeah it the 40-man roster crunch is real in the sense that the cubs have a lot of guys they need to get to protect this winter and you know guys like darius hill who is another outfielder who's also a lefty going back to the zach mckinstry thing you know he needs to be protected and brennan davis one needs to be protected you know at some point but like obviously he's going to be up soon is the hope yeah. and does he play center field alexander canario is another outfielder coming up these are guys that haven't even made an impact yet in the big leagues or made their debut. And then you throw in the fact that Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki are taking the corner outfield spots. Then you have Nelson Velasquez and Christopher Morrell who can play center field. And then again, Ortega too. Like maybe if it comes down to one spot and it's Ortega or Hermosillo, like which guy do you choose? Do you choose a left-handed batter? Or do you choose the guy that can go get it, but has not turned it on offensively yet. So and, and honestly, realistically, maybe they don't choose either of those guys, the Ortega yeah. or Hermosillo. So uh, it'll definitely be a very interesting case. Um, but for the rest of the season, too, you know, especially however long Seiya is out with on paternity list and stuff like that, he's back in Japan now. I think it will be fascinating to see if Hermosillo can turn it on offensively and if he can add a little bit at the plate to go with this amazing defense. Yeah, that's definitely the, the the that's what you're hoping to see at least some flashes of the offense. We saw it, you know, he had the the double last week that you're like, okay, this 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 is what you see. But again, it's just, it's just a tall task to ask, just given where he is, where you know the the, the the timing and the rhythm, and you know, just not the 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 full four months of the season that he's missed, like like the rest of the guys have gone through. Yeah, and I mean, it's also worth keeping in mind that he's only 27 years old and yeah. uh, same with Zach McKinstry. So these guys have plenty of time left in their career. 
The one thing working against Hermosillo is the fact that he does not have any minor league options remaining. So he would have yeah. to be on the 40 man on the big league roster uh, moving forward, or the Cubs would have to, you know, DFA him if they wanted to try to send him down. So that's definitely a little of a complicating factor as you look at his case. Um, but any of the switch gears a little bit, you know, and talking about the outfield and a left-handed bat, here's a guy like Alfonso Rivas. He's probably the team's best defender at first base has the yep. ability to play the outfield, depending on what the Cubs do with the first base spot next year. But, uh, you know, you had this great story about Alfonso Rivas and Javier Assad playing Little League together in Tijuana. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I went up to Javier Assad, uh, you know, a week or so ago or, or a little bit ago, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, like, it's pretty cool. There's all these Mexicans. Like, do you know any of these guys, you know, coming up or had you met them? And he says, yeah, like I'm going up through the system with Manny Rodriguez. He knew Manny Rodriguez. And then he says, and then I played Little League with Alfonso Rivas. And I'm like, what are the odds of that, right? Like how many players play Little League together and then play on the same major league team together, let alone in the majors, right? You know, it, it's just, it, it was an incredible story. And I started asking them about it. And one of the, the interesting stories, one of the interesting little nuggets that I thought was that Rivas said Assad was just a great hitter as a little, little leaguer. He was, you know, he's a starting pitcher in the, in the major leagues. Uh, and as a little leaguer, he was a great hitter and could pitch a little bit, but he was more known for his bat. And then Assad said Rivas was, I mean, he was a great two-way player, he said. And he said Rivas was a great pitcher, you know, a left-handed pitcher that would get out. And it's just so funny, just the, you know, now you see them in the majors and one's a pitcher who was a great hitter as a little leaguer. And the other one's an offensive, you know, first baseman that uh, was known for his pitching in the in little leagues. They grew up playing together. Um, you know, it was funny. They were on all-star teams and, and Rivas's team beat Assad's team. And so they were able to pick up some players to go to the regional tournament in little league. And they, they picked up Assad and that's kind of how they knew each other. And when Rivas was traded for Tony Kemp uh, in, in 2020, Assad reached out to him, sent him a DM says, welcome to the team. You know, it's good, good to have you. And I can't wait to talk. And then in Iowa, when they get to Iowa, when when uh, Assad's called up to Iowa, Rivas is, is in AAA this season, and uh, they were hanging out together. You know, they were talking about it. And then Assad gets his call up. Rivas is still AAA. A couple of days later, Rivas gets called up, and they're both together in the major leagues. And there was just this awesome moment that Assad told me. He says they're talking about when they were playing Little Leagues, and Assad stops and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, think about how cool that is, and look at where we're at now. Like, would you have ever thought, like, how cool is that, that we're – we were talking about us playing little leagues at, in Tijuana and here we are at Wrigley field with the Chicago Cubs playing in the major league system. It's just an awesome story overall. And, you know, it, I asked them, I was like, be honest, like, did you ever think you guys would reach the majors, let alone play for the same team? And they said, not in a million years. They, they never, they never saw that coming. Yeah. I, to quote Afonso Rivas, it's, it's been a sick trajectory, which yeah. I think is, is a one kind of funny quote, but also, you know, a, a, great way to sum up this story and we're gonna have to get like Chris Antonacci a researcher on to see how many guys have played little league before that have been on the same team in the big leagues like I we probably should have looked that up Andy before the article it just occurred to me now when you were talking but I would love yeah. to see that maybe they're the only two guys I, I don't know I mean even yeah. the way some of the little league teams work in in uh the U.S. like you said where they kind of pool from the whole region but uh, yeah, I don't know. That'd be really cool. But it's a great story. Check it out on marqueesportsnetwork.com right now. Um, and then Andy, actually, you know, we're going to move on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, though, you had this great chat with Los, with Carlos Pena, uh, it just about Hispanic heritage and what the culture means to him, but also to, to you during the Hispanic Heritage Month here. So 
We'll take a quick break and then listen to that. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm joined here with Carlos Pena, former big leaguer. Carlos, thank you for joining. It's Hispanic Heritage Month and want to pick your brain on a lot of things about the Latino ball player, just their journey and everything. So I want to start just pretty basic, but what is the toughest thing, what challenges do Latin players have coming here to the States to play ball? Well, it's uh, immediately a, a cultural shock, uh, you know, and uh, we can get um, a little bit specific when we talk about language, but yeah. it goes beyond that. Even mm -hmm. the food is different. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, the way society works is different. Um, and I can give you my personal example. I actually came when I was younger which it should be easier when yeah. you come when you, I was 14 years old when I came to the United States. Um, and here I am in high school and the cultural shock was just extremely difficult for me to catch on to, you know, and, and, and uh, to hit the, the, the ground running. Yeah. I certainly did not. Yeah. It took a while for me to adjust. How was it difficult? Like what specifically made it so tough? You know, language is, is a big key. Yeah. Um, and for me, I came already knowing quite a lot of English because I studied it back in the Dominican Republic but it's not the same when you are studying in a book maybe having slight practice uh, you know practice you know conversation here and there and all of a sudden you're thrown into the real thing mm -hmm. um, it, it was it was hard it's like oh maybe I don't know as much as I thought I yeah, did yeah. Um, but you know I was very persistent I, I tried to do the best I could to improve and I was diligent in, in studying and learning and you know, challenging myself, um, but it, those were tough years. And even the food, you know, yeah. something as simple as that. You know, here I am in high school, and um, I'm I'm getting, you know, I love mashed potatoes, you know, yeah. uh, but it, there was a lot of mashed potatoes and, and <laughs> corn and, yeah. you know, things like that. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not really used to eating this when we weren't in, in high school. You know, yeah. I've learned to love it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Now it's like I, I love mashed potatoes and corn. <laughs> you know, but even initially, hey, I, I'm eating... You know, I used to eat rice and beans, you know, that, that was kind of like Plantain. staple, plantains. And now it's, uh, you know, maybe chicken, you know, with, with mashed potatoes and, um, you know, corn and, and, fried, and corn fried know. and maybe fries here and there. Uh, not to um, just say that that's the only thing we ate. But, yeah, I had yeah. to learn how to eat different foods. Yeah. Which eventually, yeah, I was able to conquer it. But right. it wasn't like immediately. And to that point, uh, I spoke with Christopher Morello earlier this year, and he mentioned, you know, when he suffered a traumatic wrist injury, his first time in the States, the only thing he ever ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner was In-N-Out Burger, because the only thing he knew how to say yeah. was cheeseburger. And yeah. that's that's not uncommon, right? Yeah, can, can, we, can we just zero in on the language yeah. challenge? For sure. Okay. Because I don't think anyone really understands, or like most people do not understand how big of a challenge that is. Yeah. It is absolutely monumental, okay? Because you're sitting there, and this is a totally different language. Um, and now you see guys doing interviews after games, yeah. and I cannot even imagine. Well, let's, let's put it this way. I can't imagine, but maybe most people cannot even imagine 
um, what it's like to be in na on national television, yeah. trying to speak a foreign language. I mean, I study Italian, mm -hmm. you know, and I, you know, I go, I visit Italy, and I go into a supermarket, and I'm trying to speak Italian. You know, I, I'm pretty good for two minutes. Sure. You know, I got two minute Italian. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then after two minutes, I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. You know, ci vediamo domani, grazie per tutto. You know, yeah. ciao, because I run out of vocabulary. I run right. out of Italian. Right. Imagine, you know, a, a Latin American, you know, a Latin player coming over to America, and they don't know the language, yeah. and they have a camera on their face, and they have to. 20 recorders around. Oh my goodness, it's crazy. Yeah. And they're asking you questions. You are afraid of being misquoted. Yeah. You know, maybe something comes off the wrong way and you're afraid of, of saying the wrong thing. And yeah. uh, you may say something and you didn't even mean to say that. It's, it's extremely difficult. And that's why you see a lot of guys now, even when they know how to speak a little bit of English, like pretty good, yeah. they still go to the translator because they don't want to risk saying something or getting misinterpreted. It's, yeah. it's scary. Honestly. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's important you say that, too, because I remember um, Sammy Sosa got a lot of flack, right, when he uh, was in front of Congress and, and he had the translator and he had done interviews. But, you know, there's, there's that comfort level where it's like, especially in that situation where you want to be 100% certain that, you know, everything you say is accurately represented. And, and for guys, you know, that's, that's, it's hard enough to kind of convey your thoughts in your native language, right? Like, I think if I was... Asked, you know, how did you do this story or whatever? How did you do this interview? I would have to like really think about it just in English. Yes. Now you add in a second language. That's 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 almost impossible. It's it's taunting. You know, like for you to, to be there, it's it's just a it's huge a huge mountain to climb. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you may be up for the task, but you understand that making the slight of mistake, you know, who's you're not sure that they're gonna cut you. You know, the audience is gonna cut you any slack. Yeah. Um. So I have great respect when I see guys that their native language is Spanish or Japanese or, you know, whatever it may be, go on national television and try to speak English. Yeah. But I wish that the audience appreciated that yeah. instead of perhaps maybe judging a player. That's always a fear of the Latin player um, here in, in the States playing Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball. Yeah, and I was going to say Major League Baseball is a little different. Most or every team is required to have a translator. In Minor League Baseball, that's not the case at all, right? So, like, if you have a coach and you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina or, or the, the middle of California or the middle of, you know, Tennessee, wherever you want to pick, that culture shock, and, and I, I, I'm curious about your perspective, knowing that you were here, how important were you to some of these guys that were in the States for the first time that, we're not in a major city where there's maybe a lot of Spanish speakers, but you're maybe in a small town that, you know, if you're lucky, there's maybe, you know, a Mexican restaurant that has a, a couple guys that speak Spanish. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult, you know, especially because all these minor league teams are spread out throughout the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and many of these areas are rural and, and maybe the, the population is not as diverse. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a huge challenge. So we talked about food. We talk about language. And by the way, one of the biggest fears from any ball player is they don't want to sound dumb on yeah. TV, you know, to be quite frankly. Yeah. It's like, okay, these kids are highly intelligent. Yeah. When they speak Spanish, they may sound highly intelligent. And then when they speak English, they feel like they're going to look at, get looked at as, oh, this guy is, is, is dumb because he doesn't know how to pronounce the right English word, doesn't have the right pronunciation. Right. So a lot of times when I speak, um, you know, and I talk to some of my younger, you know, um, you know, players or, or teammates that just came over 
from the minor leagues into the big leagues and even kids in the minor leagues as well that come from Latin America, the first thing I say is, hey, keep on working on your English. Yeah. So studying, like be diligent about it yeah. um, so that you can continue to get better. And hey, if you are in any doubt, if you have any doubt, you are allowed to have a translator. Yeah. You know, and that's something that Major League Baseball has done and will try to do a good job of is provide, you know, these teams are providing these translators so that their players feel more comfortable and are not misquoted because it also looks bad on the team yeah. if they are misquoted. So there is definitely a movement out there, that an awareness, um, and, and it's happening. So it's so much better now yeah. than it used to be. Let's make that clear. Right. And, and, I, and I wanted to touch on that too because it's important that there, that the Latin player story is told too, right? Where it's like, you know, yes, it's important that we know how they performed on the mound or how they performed at the plate, but there's an element of getting to know their story, right? Them getting to know that, what they went through to get here. And it's important that language barrier uh, before in the past would it would get lost. And now we're able to see these stories of guys that had to go through so much just to, to see them on the major league field. I think that's taken for granted. Yeah. You see a player in the major league in the, in the major league field, you're like, okay, there is the player in the major league yeah. field. Now, when you start listening to the stories behind um, their careers, you're like, whoa, wait a second. Yeah. And, and we take that for granted. Yeah. I mean, uh, specifically speaking about uh, Cuban players, for example, yeah. you know what they've had to endure to get to this point. I mean, I had teammates that that had to leave Cuba um, on a you know, in a boat somewhere in the bottom of in a cargo ship yeah. and they're inside a, um, you know, this this container and yeah. hitting and then they have to go over and try out and then they sign, they travel. It's absolutely crazy. And then you see them on the big leagues, yeah. you're like, wow, okay, yeah. great ball player. And you have no idea what that player had to endure right. to get to that position. So it's it's actually very admirable. I mean, these stories are... Epic yeah. of how they achieve these, the most unlikely of, of, of dreams. Yeah. It's like coming from, seriously, almost nothing to becoming a Major League Baseball player. You know, like sometimes I think we take that for granted. Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. And, and, and to that point too, you know, you mentioned that the Cuban ballplayers and what they have to go through. It's, it's just fascinating when you think about like they're in these little remote towns. Like you think of a, of a U.S. player you know, that gets scouted from, like, maybe, like, the middle of Iowa or something. It's like, wow, he got to the big leagues from, you know, the middle of Iowa. These guys are coming from, you know, playing, you know, uh, your, your term that you're famous for, placata, <laughs> is, you know, when you hit the, the vidia or you do yeah, whatever, yeah. like, there's, there like, that's incredible to me is, like, you know, where you grow up playing with, with a stick and, and, and to get to the major leagues at the highest level with the nicest equipment and the greenest fields. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing that's, yeah. like, like, taken for granted, yeah. you know. I mean, and, and it's part of the environment that you are mm -hmm. born into, you know, like obviously in Dominican Republic. Okay, so you, you that's where I'm from. Um, most of the kids that play baseball and want to become Major League Baseball players are maybe kids that are, come from very humble beginnings. Yeah. Because they're playing baseball with an idea of baseball could possibly get me out of this right. um, type of situation. Me and, you know, my family and I can yeah. get out of this situation. So this is a, def a totally different motive. Yeah, you love the game. Right. But the reason why you're playing is because you also know this could be your ticket out of this situation that you're in. Right. You know, your family, yourself. Maybe uh, the only possibility for making, making it better, you know, yeah. for, for yourself and for your loved ones, right? Now, you have to also understand that the politics and the economic, social situation in these 
maybe third world countries, we have to be real, you know, most Latin American countries um, that, that, that where the ball players come from are third world countries, um, um, including my own, you know, Dominican yeah. Republic. Um, so we take that for granted as well. It's a totally different path to yeah. the major league. So you see two baseball players, they're on the same field and they're both stars. Well, one of them had, had a path. I'm not saying that they didn't work hard, yeah. but wait a second, you know, he grew up in, you know, maybe a middle class yeah. uh, America, you know, with everything they needed, with, with uh, you know, good education, uh, access to, you know, clean water, to uh, a nice hospital if everything was needed. And then on the baseball side, fresh equipment. Fresh, uh, baseball yeah. side, you know, exactly, like beautiful medical Early fields. Early balls, like everything that you don't necessarily have. We, need to, we, we have to point that out. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that is taken for granted. Yeah. I mean, and these kids see a pearly white when? When yeah. they finally make it to the you know, United States. They're like, oh, my God, look yeah. how beautiful this baseball yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know like, I mean? you, you don't think about that. And it's, it, it's remarkable, too. Like I, I, like, I look at some of the guys when they first come up, and like, I, I think Christopher Morell, like, he was one of the main guys who like, was soaking it all in and taking advantage of it and or, or, or appreciating where he's at and... For us, like, I mean, we've been to a ballpark plenty of times. It's like, oh, it's a ballpark, whatever. <laughs> but this is, like, you think about your whole journey just to get to that one moment. And even if you play one day in the major leagues, that's still an achievement. And isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Shouldn't that be celebrated? Yeah. Because you're seeing a story of these young men that have gone through so much whose uh, trajectory is very unique, you yeah. know, and very different to that of an American ball player, right? Um, and they get to this level, the, the highest level in the world. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, uh, even something so little as at 16, you're leaving your home. You know, here in the U.S., the draft system, it's at the earliest, maybe 18, maybe 17. Uh, but you're 16 and you're potentially moving to a foreign country to play baseball. Again, to your point, not knowing the language, not knowing <laughs> the culture. I mean, I, I think I look back at when I was 16 and I'm like, if I had to move five minutes away, I would have, I couldn't have done it. I can't imagine that. I'm with you. I mean, that, talk about being homesick. Yeah. Well, you have to, this is exponentially worse mm -hmm. because this is not only just moving from one state in America to another state. Right. You're still in America. This is a totally different yeah. culture. It must feel, um, well, I, I can tell you from personal experience when I moved when I was 14 years old that I was moving to a different planet. Yeah. You know, because everything was so different, yeah. you know. Um, and to these uh, kids, it's even bigger than that because yeah. they're coming from possibly a very rural area in the Dominican Republic, which is a third world already with its challenges. And here's this dreamer. Yeah. This kid with a dream, you know, uh, you know going over um, all these obstacles and overcoming them. And finally, getting an opportunity to come to the states, and then not only that, after he comes to the states, they thrive, yeah. and then they get the call to the big leagues. It's an epic story yeah. that should be celebrated and not taken for granted. Yeah. Another thing I want to touch on with you is the importance of names, right? It's something that's like very simple, <laughs> right? But I think you're like the prime example. Um, you know, Pena, your last name, Pena, with the tilde over the end, it's crucial because very. the second you take away the tilde, the tilde from the end, they become Spena which in Spanish means pain. Yeah. Like, I, I would hate to have my name butchered like that. And it happens so often. So often. I'm very proud of my last name, right? Yeah. Peña, it's, it, it's, its origins come from northern Spain, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it's a, it's a regional type of last name, which yeah. means rock. So basically, you know, Peña comes from these settle, you know, settlements that 
that lived among the rocky parts of yeah. Spain, right? So it means rock. Yeah. So, you know, my dad has always taken pride in the fact that his last name means, you know, a rock, strong, strong. Yeah. you know, solid, you know, solid character and this and that. And he always talks to us about it. Uh, so that was very important to me yeah. when I got to this country. And all of a sudden I see Pena because in the American, in the English yeah. uh, uh, alphabet, the Enya doesn't exist. In the Spanish alphabet, so we have extra letters. letters. 27 letters. Right? In, yeah. in, in, in the English acts, uh, alphabet, we don't have an Enya. Mm -hmm. We go, you know, um, you know, Enya, Enya. Oh, PQ, right? Mm -hmm. In English, you go, you know, NLP, there, there's, yeah, you know, Q. Um, there's no Enya. Right. Uh, so they're like, okay, fine, let's do Pena. Yeah. But this is the thing. Pena means pain, pity yep. versus embarrassment. Yep. You know, embarrassment, being, you know, shy. Yeah. Tengo pena, I'm embarrassed. You know, you, so, so it's more of a, of a weaker position than yeah. you're saying rock. Yeah. So this, you know, very practical story. I want to yeah. tell you what, what what ended up happening. So I'm in the minor leagues. They, my last name says Pena. I would go grab athletic tape, and I would put athletic tape on top of the end, so they would say Pena. Yeah. And I did that through the minor leagues, yeah. all the way to the minor leagues, because they thought it was trivial. Yeah. Uh, to me, it wasn't. It no. was the definition of 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 who I, you know, what I stood for. Yeah. Um, and even when they announce your name. Yeah. You know, Carlos. Pena. I'm like, no. Yeah. Has to be Pena. Yeah. Carlos Pity. Yeah. Come on. No. That's, <laughs> Carlos Rock. Please. Yeah. And, and it's and for, it's something that's like, for as long as as you know, Latin players have been playing around. One of the first Puerto Rican ball players, Iram Bithorn, he was known as High Bithorn because he, you know, Iram is too is too complex to say. Or or Miguel Gonzalez, one of the first Cuban players, he was Mike Gonzalez. And then Roberto Clemente, arguably the most famous Latin player of all time. He was always known as Bobby Clemente or Bob Clemente, yes. and he hated that. He was always he would always say, "No, I'm Roberto. I'm not. I'm not Bobby. I'm not Bob." And we see that even in today's game, right? Where guys, you know, their their names get shortened or, or whatever, Americanized, and some guys are obviously are, are totally fine with it. But it's still the importance of the name and your heritage and your your who you are as a person. Yeah, and and look, and all you would ask for is just an awareness, yeah, a, a willingness. Yeah. To make sure that you know my name is pronounced correctly. Yeah. Um, no one. I don't. I've never encountered any announcer or reporter or newspaper that did this with ill intent. Right. Okay. Not to say that throughout the trajectory you don't find you know you don't encounter racism here and there. Right. You know that aside. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to say, look, you know, everyone for the most part really wanted to honor. Right. you know, my culture, right? Yeah. My family, my last name. But because perhaps ignorance or they didn't do their due diligence, they, they made the mistake. And it was usually addressed, you know, immediately, except that, you know, who's going to put an in yeah. like, you know, mid-season yeah. through the... <laughs> so I took it upon myself to put, <laughs> to the, put tape. the tape. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 Um, I, I want to, I kind of want to end on this, but do you think that um, it's becoming, I don't want to say easier, because it would, I don't think it'll ever be easy for a Latin ball player to, to make the adjustment that they have to make. But do you think um, the situations are becoming easier for, for players that are coming up through, through Venezuela or the Dominican Republic or wherever uh, to, to be successful, to, to, to ultimately reach their goals? Do you think it's becoming better? Absolutely. I really, and we must acknowledge that. You yeah. know, it's still a very difficult trajectory. Mm -hmm. 
you know, but you see Major League Baseball trying, making efforts and making strides yeah. in this. I mean, if you go to the academies in the Dominican Republic, you see that they're treating these young players with, with dignity. They treat them very well. They're, they're taking classes, trying to prepare them for English, um, you know, for an English-speaking world, you yeah. know, um, so that it's not such a shock. They're, they're getting introduced to the culture. Um, so it's not only let me develop this incredible power or great arm. Right. No, I want to develop the individual. I want to help the individual succeed, you know, and, and that's something that I appreciate. There's still a long way, way to go, th things that we could improve. Um, but I think that organizations overall in Major League Baseball have recognized the importance of the Latin American player if they want to compete at this level, yeah. right? Because obviously the talent uh, coming from, you know, Latin America is undeniable, yeah. right? So they're doing the best they can to provide the best resources possible, the, the tools necessary to help them succeed. And, and, and that's something that we must acknowledge. Yeah. Um, and I say that um, also understanding that there's still a lot of work to be yeah. done. Um, and the greatest part about it is that I'm very grateful that the willingness to do so is mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So um, uh, we're, we're definitely much improved since the days of Roberto Clemente, since the days of, you know, the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, those, those guys had a tough time as well uh, uh, back in the day. And, and there's many stories that we can go to. But uh, very, very grateful that it has really, really changed. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, I thank you for taking some time to have this conversation. Very enlightening. I learned a lot, and I hope the, the listeners learned a lot uh, from this conversation. No, it's, it's truly a pleasure, and uh, I hope we can do this again. Yeah. All right, Andy, that was a great interview with Carlos Pena. And, and my favorite thing, I think, was um, just talking about, as he was talking about the name and just the, the tilde over the end and how it changes the meaning, but how during the minor leagues, <clears throat> excuse me, his uniforms didn't have the tilde over him. So he would take athletic tape and put it over it. But I just thought the name part was my favorite part and segment of this conversation I, what what stood out to you from this chat with Lowe's yeah that was my favorite part and I'll be the first one to admit um I didn't know that Peña meant rock in in in, Sp in the northern part of Spain they kind of speak a different dialect um so they some words are different completely different than you know what we know as Spanish um just like in in Barcelona they speak Catalan uh in the north it's the Basque country so there's a there's the Basque uh language that's so it's totally different uh, but Pena, I had no idea it meant rock. And yeah, if you take away the tilde, as we as we talked about, it's pena, which means pain or embarrassment. It, it completely changes the meaning. Uh, and that was what I thought was really, really important and really, really cool from Carlos to, to, to tell us that story, to, to, to show the significance of the tilde, of accents, of, of getting people's names right, because it, it, it means a lot to everyone, uh, especially especially in that situation where it totally changes the meaning for him. All right. Well, yeah, Andy, it was a great chat. It was great to learn a little bit more about the human side of a, of a guy we've seen on TV, but also seen on the playing field, you know, throughout his career. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for listening.